to Who's at the Cottage, a show about getting away, being away, and all the things that happen in between. Who's at the Cottage is supported by Grill Time Gourmet Meat Shop. Receive $5 off your next order when you mention the podcast. Grill Time at 62 Layer Drive in Leaside. Take out or cookout. Come and get it. Offer available until September 4th, 2017. Ah, yes, getting away, being away, and all the things that happen in between. Welcome back, listeners. I'm Maureen Norman, and I've got my pals with me. Grillside. Great to be here again, and, and so glad you guys joined us tonight around the grill. Hope you enjoyed your dinner. Do we want to talk about what Andy made us tonight? Because he always treats us so well. Oh, yes, please. Tonight was exceptional. They all are. I mean, I don't really want to talk about it. I just want to do it all over again. <laughs> it was so good. There's always tomorrow. I know. I can't oh. wait. <laughs> And we all, as you know, we always cook leftovers. So there'll even lunch tomorrow. You could probably sneak another oh, one in there. I'll Chris. be here. <laughs> so tonight we had a we had a, a it was a brisket patty, 100 percent ground brisket, cooked kind of low and slow over the grill instead of high because uh, if the hot, if the grill's too hot, you get too much flare up. So always cook your burger kind of medium low on a Cobb's bun with uh, sriracha mayonnaise, grilled romaine hearts. The grilled romaine was chopped up into almost like a slaw. Serve that up with pickled onion. And uh, bacon jam. Bacon jam made with oh. pea meal bacon rather than regular bacon. A little leaner. Bacon. It yeah. was you delicious. had me at bacon. You had me at bacon. So good. Do you have a song for that, Andy? <laughs> you don't bacon. make friends with salad. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. That's a great I like one. It. I like that. I like it. So welcome to this week's episode. We're calling it Dockside. I'd say that falls under the category of being away. Certainly entertaining outdoors is one of the great pleasures of being at the cottage, but what do you serve? You don't want to be running in and out of the cottage all afternoon. And what about drinks? You know, Andy and I have chatted about this. Sometimes it's easier to do something for everybody, do a pitcher style, or maybe a chilled rosé. I would, I would enjoy that. But then you probably have guys at the dock, and they probably want something a little more... Well, now, let's not be sexist. No, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. I think we can represent all sides. I think we can. I, I think, think we, we will. So this week, we're really lucky, Mel. We've got Andy, who can talk to us about what to serve, how to serve it, and how to have a great dockside event. And then we've got a couple of great ladies with us as well. So why don't you go ahead? We sure do. So joining us tonight is Megan Sherwin, who is an avid cottager and a sommelier in training. Welcome, Megan. Thank you for having me. And also with us is Heather Mundell, Communications Manager with Amsterdam Brewery. Welcome, Heather. Hello. Thank so you. So I'm in good company tonight because <laughs> if I get thirsty, God knows I've got the ladies here help to uh, help me out. We can definitely help. Yes. <laughs> uh, Megan, I know that you're a Somalian in training. Yes. So where are you in that course? How long is it? And uh, what made you suddenly decide that, or maybe not suddenly, to decide to do that? It's, uh, think of it like law school. So you take a couple years, you go to courses, um, multiple different courses based on different things. So old world, new world, great comparison. Um, You have to understand the spirit world. Uh, You have to understand methodology um, and how they're crafting the wine. So you take all those courses. At the end, you then take kind of like your bar exam. Mm-hmm. So I've gone through all the courses. Literally. 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 Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, and then from there, you then write an exam, similar to how a lawyer would then write the bar. So I've gone through all the courses, and I just have to write my exam. Now, I know with my friends and I, our favorite wine this year is rosé. Yes. And I can remember my parents drinking that 30 years ago, 
but it seems to be making a comeback. Or is it has it always been popular, or does it just seem to be in the last few years that everybody's drinking rosé? It is a comeback. So uh, a couple years ago, or let's say 10 years ago, it was all about California Zinfandel, mm-hmm. which all of us probably had our parents drinking, if not us drinking. And it, it was quite sweet, right? Um, so the trend has been, and it's been increasing, it's about uh, plus 15% year-over-year growth in terms of the rosé category. So it's significant, but it's a global growth. So what's happening is people have finally found the rosés of Provence. Mm-hmm. They've <laughs> found some of the drier, the less sweet, the more mineral Rosés, and as a result, we're now seeing a breadth in rosés within the category, and for us within our distributor, uh, which allows us to find the right rosé for each of us. Mm-hmm. So as a result, we're we're uh, we're enjoying more rosé than ever before. I found mine. <laughs> yes, you did. I know <laughs> rose d'Anjou. Yes. Oh, it's lovely. It's lovely. Yes. It is. It's not too sweet. Not it's too a little sweet. bit more minerality to it. Uh, no, it's lovely. Megan, uh, I have a question for you. Uh, yes. In that category of 15%, does that include things like Proseccos and Cabas that I also hear people talking about, or is that separate again? That would be a different category. Wow. So uh, affordable bubbles would be considered outside of champagne. So you have champagne, and then you have affordable bubbles like a Prosecco or a Cava. Those have also been growing about 15% year over year. So we're seeing a significant shift in terms of the category. A lot of the academia and the research is saying that this is a millennial shift. So especially in the U.S. market where there's a lot of volume, they're hitting the age of 21. And these are affordable options for them and more of a gateway to some of the more significant wines because your palate gets more sophisticated, right? So one you hopes. might <laughs> one, <laughs> one does hope. But you start with some of the lighter things and you get more complex over time. So but no, even in Canada, Cava Prosecco are huge. They're huge growth drivers in terms of the L C B O and some of the other markets. And I just feel like there's there's a lot more uh, information and a lot more education out there. People are becoming better informed. Uh, and maybe that's the millennial thing. Maybe it's not, but maybe it's you know the the advent of, of people being able to Google stuff, mm-hmm. and and people just understanding way more about how grapes are grown. And and you can have a conversation with somebody about terroir, and people don't look at you funny. Absolutely, know? like. About 15 years ago with Robert Parker, that was the beginning of the democratization of wine tasting, right? So that was when they started the methodology of scoring. And that opened up people's eyes to, well, there's different levels to wine. And it became very easy for people to purchase and have a confidence level to what they were purchasing. From there, to your point, there's a significant amount of information online. So now people feel more confident because they can go dig and research into what they like. And then from there, that becomes a gateway to a whole different world of wine. So if I've tried one, let's say, rosé and I liked it, oh, well, what else does Provence have that I would like to drink? And they start to explore and they can do that through the web versus buying a bottle, which gives them more confidence when they walk into the store. And a conversation Andy and I have had a number of times, and, and Megan and I were talking about it earlier, and that is when you, we were talking about it over dinner, when you, when you pair wine with food, because uh-huh. the fundamental difference between just drinking a wine and then pairing it, and, and Heather, I can bring you into the conversation yeah. on this one as well, because when you pair anything with a beverage, the beverage changes. And mm-hmm. so too does the food. I mean, the food can change, but it's the beverage changes as well, and particularly with any of like a, like a, a big red, 
it just tastes so much better or it tastes so much different when you have it with food. Sorry, yeah, Heather, yes. I was just going to ask you because I'm enjoying a pale rider as we yes. speak. Delicious, Amsterdam Brewery. So is there a similar accreditation for somebody who wants to become a beer connoisseur? Uh, yes, there is. So there's two, actually. Um, there's one that's the Cicerone program, which is worldwide. Mm-hmm. Um, people across the world have those. Um, once you get to the kind of highest level, you actually have to go to test centers. Um, I know someone who just went to San Francisco, I believe. Oh, that's rough, uh, eh? To do it. Um, But in North America, that was the only test center she could go to. And I believe she passed. So um, that's exciting. But here in Toronto, (laughs) (laughs) the the Prudhomme program was uh, created by someone in Toronto. It is um, Ontario-wide. And it's something that a lot of bars have now implemented as kind of a standard. So down at the brew house, we have By the Lake, for instance. Um, to be a, you know, a bartender, bar manager, you have to have your level one. Mm-hmm. Um, we put them through it to make sure they have, they can love and enjoy beer. They also need to know kind of that fundamental, too. Sure. Because you offer 14 different kinds. So exactly. They know their product, right? <laughs> as things change quick, they kind of need to know, you know what basic ingredients might be in those. But they change as well. So mm-hmm. we always learn from our brewers, too. How much are people asking? Um, to the point about wine earlier, mm-hmm. are, are consumers equally informed? It's been such an explosion in that whole market. Yeah, I find it actually completely opposite. People walk in going, I only like lagers. That's all I want. So it's a different education that giving them to say, you know what, we have this beer or this has been made with a different kind of yeast. If you like this kind of flavor, maybe give it a try, um, which is why it's great toward, you know, a flight. You can try things that you typically wouldn't have. And we find at the end, people end up saying, you know what, that's actually my favorite. And it's nowhere close to a lager style. And, and the fundamental difference between like the three speed, which is a lager mm-hmm. and the pale rider. That- different that Mel mentioned, it's a dry hopped lager. Yep. So, like, they're two very different things, but they're both technically lagers. Mm-hmm. Are they all beer? Yes. Is they're all beer. Is everything a beer? <laughs> because in wine, you <coughs> is a Prosecco a wine? Yes. So all of those things Andy was mentioning earlier, they're still considered still wines. Still wines. Yes. Just di- through different methods of, yeah. of So building. if it comes from a grape, it's it, going to be a wine. <laughs> well, there, so there's a vodka that's made from a grape. So we can oh. get really down into the weeds <laughs> <laughs> well, and talk about these things, but that's another conversation. Fair enough. But essentially, do you know if, you, the, if one grape equals one drop of wine? Like wow. that's the, So think about it that way in terms of the bottle, how okay. much it takes. That's yeah, a lot right? of grapes. Oh, I know. Okay, amazing? and how many pieces of barley does it take to make a beer? No? Make a beer? We can't do that math? That it, it all math? depends. No? All right. um, a stout is going to be a lot richer in okay. grain, uh, you're going to get more of the you know so unique flavors. Whereas, yeah, it, it all depends on the amount that's being made as well, um, and what kinds you're using. Cool. So there could be darker and lighter malts that contribute to the flavor and everything. Yeah, um, Heather, you know yeah. you 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 just touched on the uh, the brew house mm-hmm. down on the waterfront, which uh, just a shameless plug if you don't mind <laughs> is, is my favorite patio in the city, and the yeah. food is awesome. You should got if you haven't been, you have to go to the brew house down by the lake. But on the menu, um, the each each food mm-hmm. item on the menu has a suggested beer pairing with yeah. it, um, which I think is exceptional. And the location that's about to open in Leaside, which will be called the Barrel House the instead house. of the Brew House, yeah. can't wait. Yeah. Terrific. You know what? I think we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to do some quizzing around pairings. Support for this podcast comes from Amsterdam Brewery. 
Brewing damn good beer in Toronto since 1986. Oh yeah, pouring a drink while the grill heats up. Welcome back to Who's at the Cottage. And now, it's time for Ask Andy Anything. Each week, one of our guests asks Andy a question. Here's this week's. All right, so Andy, what is your go-to appetizer to serve during cocktail hour? Appetizer? One? Singular? Appetizers. That's really hard. Go Go with three. Three? Three. Uh, that's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> we look forward to and cherish those times. We call them dock, dock snacks. Around 4.30, 5 o'clock, depending on how the day has gone and what the weather's like, we, we tend to get a group on the dock. And at that time, we open beverages and dock snacks are imperative. So I would say if I had to pick three things, I'm, I'm going to zip away from the dock and, mm-hmm. and go and I'm going to grill shrimp, which cook fast. I would say... Um, Korean short ribs or Miami short ribs like really thin cook really really quickly and then probably some sort of uh, charcuterie type plate Um, there's a there's a great farmer's market in Bob Cajun and they you know there's um, the Mennonites uh, are uh, around and and so they have sausage and cheeses and things and that would probably be my third thing I love all of it when do we show up? Yes, because I love, <laughs> I love your shrimp. Open invitation. Don't get me well, wrong. Tonight you, you showed. Tonight good. you showed up for dinner time. I think yeah. maybe like an hour and a half if, if earlier. We a little earlier. So we so we were just late. We so we were late for dog so what, what does happen though? I have to be honest. Is that dog snacks can get a little carried away, <laughs> and uh, at eight o'clock, and you say we still haven't had dinner, but no one's hungry. You um you go well. Does anybody really need dinner? Because <laughs> we kind of <laughs> ate dinner around 5.30 on the dock. So one of the questions to ask, given it's such a warm day here on the, de- the dock, uh, ladies, any tips for chilling wines or beer? I do. do you, Heather, do yeah. you want to go? Do you <clears throat> want me to go? Um, I can start. I mean, of course, the hotter it is, the colder you want your beer, and the quicker your Amen. ice is going to melt. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, if you're headed down to the dock, make sure you have a nice big cooler, um, one that you can, you know, drain out the side if it starts to go down, but always keep a good stock handy inside that's cold and then you can replenish. But if someone's, you know, ready and thirsty right away, you can throw them one over and it's good to go. (laughs) Uh, so from a wine perspective, we got red and whites, right? So let's assume your reds are somewhere around room temperature so you just need to cool them a little bit so you could put them in the freezer Um, you can put them in for about 10 minutes and they'd be fine Um, the fastest way to do it is actually a little trick of making it uh, salt water so you dump salt into your bucket of ice and that chills it past a typical temperature and actually speeds up the the chilling Ooh, process. That's very interesting. I love it. I uh, love it. Yeah, and then the other way to do it. This is a little bit silly, but you can take. We're the all about silly. <laughs> we're, all good, we're all good with silly. So if we really want to drink cold white wine and it's just not cold and we can't wait 10, 15 minutes, um, if you put it into, you pour the wine into a Ziploc and then put the Ziploc into the bath of salted water. It's five minutes. Spectacular. I know, super cheesy, but if you really need it. cold water. You know I'm doing it. <laughs> Megan's reminding me of Bill Nye, the science guy right now. I just, <laughs> this is just too heavy. Actually, mm-hmm. someone suggested to me that if you have, uh, let's say, a case of white wine that you are going to keep drinking the same wine over and over, 
to actually take a portion of a bottle and make ice cubes out of that wine. So that when it, it melts into the wine, it's the same wine that's melting into the glass. Absolutely. Rather than, rather than, rather than diluting. Yes. yes. You can do that. Now, there was a, a study done, because everyone studies everything, mm. on taking an ice cube and actually putting it into a glass of wine. So if you put it in there, stir it around um, for about a minute and take it out, it actually drops the degrees by about 10 degrees. And you only lose about 5% of the ice cube. So you're literally losing just a couple drops. So sommeliers have tested, and they don't think there's a significant difference in taste profile, and it doesn't seem to water down if you take it out. Now, if you dump a whole bunch of ice into your Chardonnay and then leave that all day, (laughs) it will impact the wine. But if you just rinse it in a little bit and pull it out, it's actually not as bad. You might get some stares. And and you touched on something (laughs) a little bit earlier, and that is the... Temperature of a red wine. Yes. Yes. Room temperature. What is room temperature? Room when temperature. You're at the cottage, so, right? well, but room temperature. People always say, "Well, I serve my red, red red wine at room temperature." Well, room temperature should be about sixty-five degrees. Thank you very much. So everyone keeps their house, or I know we do, at about seventy-one. So it should yep. be a little bit more chill. It's these rules were designed in like fourteen hundred, exa- a very right. long time ago. Right. So room temperature was a lot colder. Exactly. And think about them holding them in their cellars, right? Yeah, in cellar the temperature cellars. rather than room temperature. Exactly. Right? So. So a lot of times, admittedly, when we go to restaurants, we ask them to chill the red a little bit because they're too warm. They tend to be held in the kitchen or in the bar with lights, right? Exactly. And mm-hmm. they tend to be a bit warm. So I don't feel do. guilty about no. putting your red under some ice. Or no, I, I keep my, my reds chilled. Yeah. And, and I would rather bring it up to room temperature rather than try and cool it down. Yeah. It's, it's the, the process is fast. Beer is the same, right? Uh, yeah, of course. The whole freezer thing, you got to be really careful yeah. with. They will explode. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to be a, a little more careful. Another thing is if you get a wet paper towel and you put it around it and put it in the fridge, that'll get it colder a little faster. But, I mean, my advice is always have your fridge stocked with beer. It'll always be there. It'll be waiting for you. Plan ahead. Don't wait till you're down <laughs> oh, to your I last guess. drop of your last bottle. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, Let's get back to pairings. So I think, you know what I'd love to do, Andy? If we sort of think back over the several weeks you've hosted Ooh. us and we think about the great meals you've prepared, how about we fire off Megan, Heather, what's the wine, what's the beer? Oh. How does no oh. pressure, ladies? <laughs> no pressure. A so, little versus. So first, the first thing is, what's what's the food? What's the yeah, dish? You, and you, then you tell the menu, and the right. ladies will tell us what pairs with it. But you want me to base on what we've had in the past yeah. week. So I, week one, we had I, a cedar plank salmon with crumbled uh, chips and Neil uh, Brothers with the yeah, crumbled <laughs> Neil Brothers chips. So grilled cedar plank salmon with chips on top, crusted chips. Yeah. Hmm. Well, first, a caveat: there's no bad beer pairing (laughs) i mean if you're gonna have just you know an easy drinking lager like three sweet it really goes with anything you're eating so you don't really have to worry about it or try something new and if your your palate will tell you kind of how you're feeling about it you may love it someone else it may not be for them but uh, it's good to try but for the salmon i'd probably say a wheat beer um, like the one Andy has over there. It's I have a, a spotted cow, spotted cow, cow white I started wheat. looking at it funny thinking, I think that would be a good Yeah, so <laughs> a, a wheat beer would be really, really great for that. It's nice because it has a bit of um, kind of an orange note to it too. So uh, depending on what sauce you're using, that could taste really nice with that. 
Yeah. Megan, mm. what are you thinking on the wine? I'm okay. So there's a philosophy of how you pair wine, right? I know I get complicated, but <laughs> essentially you can either complement the flavors or yeah. contradict the flavors. Correct. Let's just go down the buttery, rich mm-hmm. salmon. Then you would do a shard, right? Like a white burgundy or something. Yeah. If you're doing a peppered salmon, something maybe teriyaki or something, then I might want to cut it, right? And then I'd bring in like a Pinot Gris or a Riesling or something because I, I don't want to have it I want to cut the acidity and I want to complement that spiciness a little bit more okay how about um, sort of like an Asian marinated uh, flank steak you can always use a beer in the marinade which would be Ooh. neat um, so I'd say do something pretty simple with it or you could go and do something a little nutty and darker um, maybe oh, I thought you were calling me nutty okay like, <laughs> so uh, nutty uh, um, yeah. fits, so decide. more of like you know like a downtown brown or something could be really neat to use in the pairing but you could also you know use it in the marinade as well and it could be kind of a neat flavor in there all right so my favorite thing to do with spicy is to do bubbles so a prosecco affordable affordable prosecco cava (laughs) something to really cut that spice and lighten your palate it's a really nice way of pairing spice with something a little refreshing it's beautiful Excellent. Mm. Next so last uh, recently we had the uh, the steak uh, fajita and shrimp, and mm. served that with uh, grilled shrimp, and the fajita had like a tomatillo uh, salsa on top. And it's you like had that Mexican corn salad, so that was that had cumin in it. I yeah, guessing. yeah, so yeah that, a jerk. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was a whole there was a whole party of flavors on the plate. <laughs> it was. Yeah, now it we've got to try. So any beer, yeah. just serve any beer with that. As long as it's I, yeah, it's good. I. I mean, I definitely say something maybe um, like a, a dry hopped lager would be I, great. I actually had it with a pale rider and it was excellent. There you go. Yeah. So I think that would be a good one. Um, but, you know, any kind of like a, a pilsner or a lager as well would be good for that. You don't want anything too, too overpowering. Like if you were to have, you know, a really fruity lambic beer with it, you'd kind of lose both while you're eating. So we don't want to do that. No, <laughs> you don't. You no don't. definitely mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. I've eaten that corn salad or the mango salad. It's delicious. Um, I would probably do Riesling. I would want to cut some of those flavors with a little bit of acidity and a little bit of the pear, and I think it would be delicious. Okay, and last up. Yeah, so, um, you know, the classic kind of burger, you know, cheeseburger with whatever condiments you put on, but the classic cheeseburger. Yeah, so I had a three-speed lager with that, which I think... Is you know the perfect pairing when you're hot sun outside. Um, they just go together. Fresh off the grill, cold beer. That's just that's what you want. Yeah, I had a delicious patisserie. Um, <laughs> it which, was very good. It was and, lovely. And for the, the less informed, that would be a red. It would be <laughs> a red wine. <laughs> yes, um, and it's it's quite elegant there's an earthiness but it's a toned down it's not as heavy as a cab saw for example Um, and it's less tannic as well so the mouth is quite smooth so when you bring in the burger there's a nice compliment there and it really you can taste all the flavors of that burger but you're complementing some of that blood that you're tasting in that burger with a little bit of that earthiness which is lovely and just to mess everything up I was enjoying a pale rider with my burger when the pizza rocks. <laughs> so was I. And I had both. And they, were, <laughs> they were both fantastic with the like, burger tonight. Nothing wrong about that. Not at all. Well, thank you. Our goal here is to, uh, well, I don't know if you ladies know, our goal here is to get Mel 
be a cottager. And I think with all this knowledge about how to have a great dockside experience. Well, I think if I bring these two ladies to any cottage, I'm going to have a good time and be turned towards yeah, yeah. the beer and the yeah, wine will come Can't go wrong. <laughs> and if you need anyone to grill anything as i know i know a guy i think i know a guy he knows a guy but thank you because uh, all these tips are amazing they are uh, truly I, I'm, I will put some of them to use especially the ziploc bag it's <laughs> <laughs> wine in a bag a whole new meaning it was in food and wine magazine so it's a real thing it's and real it's, right. baby it's yeah, real people will look at you but it's okay you're drinking so Terrific. it's fine well thank you so much and now i'm going to the baton, baton over to my friend Chris. Because, because I get curious. I do. I do. I get curious. And I get curious about people's histories. So here's my question tonight. What was the first drink? What was the first drink that you snuck? And how old were you? Anybody, anybody want to jump in on this one? I'll go first. Okay, go, Maureen. It was Kahlua. <laughs> and it was... Um, out of my parents' liquor cabinet. Yeah. It was winter, and I poured it into a thermos, and we walked to the park, my girlfriends and I, and boy, did we have a party. And how, old, <laughs> and how, how old were you? Fourteen. Wow. <laughs> All right, Mel, what about you? So I was 15. My girlfriend and I were with my parents down in Florida, and that was when Long Island iced teas were mm-hmm. starting. Uh-huh. And I looked older, and so did she. So we're at this restaurant, and we ordered an iced tea. And the waiter brought us Long Island iced teas. So, of course, we didn't say anything because it had nine different alcohols in it. So we were just sitting there flying. And uh, then my dad got the bill. <laughs> so he realized very quickly that uh, those weren't iced teas. Yeah. But so, it it was, was so it was more like a public sneaking. <laughs> it was. It was. Plain that's, view. That's, that's impressive. Awesome. That yeah. is impressive. Yeah, okay. that's awesome. Right. So it was, it was good. All right. Megan, what about you? Uh, mine was I was 14 as well. Yeah. Um, it was a summer morning, <laughs> and <laughs> there we go. And it was Goldschlager oh, my out goodness. of my parents' cabinets. Oh, Brave little thing, and aren't we, you? And we did not like it, so we put it on ice cream, and that. <laughs> <laughs> and we still didn't like it. I mean, it's not a bad use for Goldschlager because <laughs> there aren't cream. many uses. So for then it. we put chocolate sauce on it, and it was fine. <laughs> wow. Good Yikes. story. So we had a Sunday. You did. Goldschlager wow. Sunday. Goldschlager Sunday. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Heather, what do you what do you what do you go to? The first thing I probably ever had a little sip of is like a rum and coke. Right. Um, but that was more parents there going. Here, gee, see give what you that, think. Give that a sip. Hoping <laughs> that that would scare me out of it, probably. Not so much. No. Not so much. Um, but then probably myself is probably you know a couple Heinekens out of the fridge. Yeah. Okay. You know, okay. backpack. If there's 20 there, I could take five. They won't, they won't notice, notice right? No. no. <laughs> Such is the folly of youth. It's, <laughs> yeah. I know. it's true. You know exactly. Andy, what about you? Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a child of the earliest uh, years of the 1960s. Mm. And cocktail culture existed back then. Absolutely. And then it kind of mm-hmm. went away, and now it's all back again. But back in the 60s, my parents used to have, you know, some pretty, pretty crazy parties. And... Uh, not necessarily the best of cleanup at night when they went to bed. And in the morning, you know, I got up. So I think I was about six. Oh, wow. Or seven, six or seven. And there were these really neat looking maraschino cherries. Uh, <laughs> and they had been soaking in Manhattans all night. And that was my first experience with go. alcohol. Andy, was your dad Don Draper? Where did you live? Where did you grow up? That's spectacular. Uh, is Don Draper from Scarborough? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, that explains it. Yeah, that explains Scarborough. it a lot. 
Yeah, I, mine was a I'm Canadian club. Oh. Again, parents' liquor cabinet. My parents were not big drinkers. Uh, and somebody had given my father a massive bottle in my head, a uh, bottle of Canadian club, which I think he actually still has because <laughs> he's really not a big drinker. And, and I remember uh, just thinking, well, I wonder what this is all about. And I, I couldn't tell you how old it was. I was probably about 12 or 13, maybe 14. Uh, and I thought, okay, yeah, this is it. I'm going to do this. Wow, bad idea. <laughs> this was not a good idea, not at all. So there you go. Straight up, straight up, well, straight, up. Just, straight up, yeah. straight up. Now wow. I have to say, I do have in my more mature years, uh, I do have an appreciation for for scotch and for whiskey. So interesting. Mm, I think maybe. Uh, so it didn't take. It didn't, didn't ruin you. you. No, yeah. it didn't ruin me. Yeah. Didn't ruin me. But still, don't try this at home, kids. No, no. <laughs> wait, no, to, wait no till kids. you're of age. Yeah. Any <laughs> kids listening? Well, I think uh, we're just about finished, and it's been such a pleasure. It Thank has. you, ladies. I really enjoyed having you, and I think we all learned a lot. Mel, any last questions? Sangria. Very quickly. Oh, great. Because sangrias are popular always, but it seems like the whites are starting to be even more popular than the reds, if I'm correct. Yeah, absolutely. I would say they're probably even, even at this point. So there's been a significant change. I think everyone knew the Spanish sangria with Tempranillo or the Rioja, and you throw in your fruits and some juice. And I think people, again, have, that was the gateway. Mm-hmm. And now they're exploring maybe more complex. They're doing peach sangrias, or they're, they're trying new flavors and exploring different grapes and varietals with that. So mm-hmm. you're right. There's absolutely a growth in the white sangria market. So I think we've got a lot of homework to do, Mo. I think we do. Heather, uh, I have a yes. sort of a, do you have a go-to or a favorite? Are you allowed to, like, pick your favorite Amsterdam? Of course. Flavor? Brand? Flavor? flavor? Um, <laughs> it, it, it depends uh, what I'm really in the mood for. Actually, my favorite beer that we make is actually Big Wheel. I, that was my first love. And then you yeah. keep coming out with these new ones. And I've currently really sort of switched to Pale Rider. I, I love the Amber Ale. I, I love the bit of flavor to it. I'm not much of a lager girl. I think that Three Speed's great if it's a hot day. That's my go-to. But uh, if it's, you know, any time of day, anything, it's it's a good it's a good uh, big wheel. Yeah. yeah. Megan, do you have a, 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 if you have a group of people coming to the cottage, do you have a favorite wine that you go to? For couples or for me? Because <laughs> if I'm drinking, how just... About, how about both? Answer, both. Answer, okay. answer the question both ways. So for me, if I was to have like a lovely dinner or a glass of wine before dinner and I had my druthers and could do everything, I would do a white burgundy. I'm a romantic. I love a good Chardonnay. It's clean. It's smooth. It's elegant. It's not too buttery. It's, I think, the perfect glass of wine. Um, but for a group that unfortunately is sometimes not economical... Um, so then I start getting into blends and I'll do a Riesling blend or a Gewürztraminer. It, it really, to, to Heather's point, it depends on then kind mm-hmm. of the style of the night. Um, sometimes, you know, you buy a bottle of Prosecco or Cava and then you move on to maybe a Riesling and then get a little bit heavier. So it, it sounds depends. like she's been to one of my girls weekends. <laughs> and then you move on and you, you move do. on. So, so, so what just happened just now was the question got asked and you guys were both sort of thinking about pairing it. But if you yeah. went to someone's house now, I'm going to turn it around ah. so that there's no pairing up. You're going to someone's house and you have no clue what they're going to serve you. Yeah. What do you take? What are you taking? I normally do two things. I'll normally bring a like a six pack 
It'll have two of each beer in it, so you can, you know, anyone can pick what they like. I've experienced that. You you did that to me today. Yep, I did. <laughs> I did. Um, and then, actually, what I do with a lot of friends, we actually do bottle shares. We all bring specialty vintage beers that we've been aging or cellaring or one-offs for breweries. I'll bring something special. So something that we've done in a really small batch at Amsterdam, I'll typically bring one or two bottles over or, you know, a double tempest I've been saving for two years. Um, and do something special. So it's a table bottle, and you can share with everyone. Um, you know, if there's, you know, 10 people there, you're only having a couple little sips, uh, and then you move on to the next. I think what's great about an experience like that is is having someone there who can share the story mm-hmm. behind it, too. Some yeah. of the backstory just yes. makes what's in your glass just mm-hmm. more interesting. It's all about yeah. the story. All for the story. <laughs> and Megan, you go into someone's house for dinner, you know what they're going to serve you? What do you take? I'll bring a few bottles as well, mm-hmm. just like Heather. So a few? A few. Yeah. You know, I'm going to invite you more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't clear out their cellar or they won't have me back. So I'll bring uh, typically a rosé right now. Um, I think there's some great ones out there, like a Whispering Angel or something. I think they're fantastic. They're very approachable for everyone around the table. Um, and then I'll bring a favorite. So I'll bring either a Louis Jadot or a Louis Latour, like something, a classic that everyone will like around the table and is fairly accessible. Or if I've just been, like I spend a lot of time in Niagara, I'll, to your point, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll bring a story. It's like we were just down there and the winemaker was talking because that adds a little bit to the night and then they can take that story with them as well, which I think adds value. And I think on that note, we can wrap things up. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Andy. We'll see you next time. Thank you. See you next time. And for more information about our guests and all the fabulous food we're having here at Andy's, be sure to check us out at whosatthecottage.com. Support for this podcast comes from the fine folks at Neil Brothers, an iconic tastemaker of extraordinary foods. Who's at the Cottage is a steak production. Executive producer, Maureen Norman. Production supplied by Gat Broadcast Services. Production assistant, Daniel Cowan. 